And so, yeah, it started with me and a team of five or six students. And now it's me and a team of like 20 to 25 students wow. any given semester. That number changes because, you know, they graduate or they take another job. But yeah, it's a paid on-campus opportunity. Think about it like your student newspaper, but for podcasts. Yeah, and it's it's pretty life-changing, too, for these students sometimes to be able to say, like, my voice is on this podcast that yeah. has a million listens. Like, yeah. what did I do in college that got to a million people? Nothing. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks, where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today we are chatting with Katie Outka, the host of 50% Podcast. She's been doing this podcast since June of 2022 with over 15 episodes published. Katie is also the associate director of The Drag, an audio production house at the University of Texas, Austin, where she manages a network of podcasts. She also teaches digital journalism and podcasting classes at the university. And I wanted to have Katie on the show. Well, first, because of all the work she's doing around podcasting. And secondly, because she, like me, is also producing a podcast conference in her town called Pod ATX Fest, which I really want to learn more about and perhaps even share some notes about our two conferences. So welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks for being here. Hello. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, there's so many things I want to dive into, but first... Tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into podcasting? Yeah, so I'm actually kind of new to the audio space. I am a journalist by trade. My career has been kind of meandering, as many journalists' careers are. Uh, you know, I jumped around from newspapers, TV, digital media. I spent most of my career working in the like social media and audience space. That was kind of what I focused on in college. I also went to UT, where I work now. And a few years back, my former professor from my UT days that I remained friends with, he's one of my best friends, my mentor. He took me to coffee and was like, I'm doing this podcasting thing and I have some money <laughs> to hire someone. Who should I hire? And I was like, definitely me. You should definitely <laughs> hire me. I've never touched a piece of audio in my life, oh. but I think I know the rest of it. So yeah, so that was the beginning of it. And really, they were doing The Drag had its first podcast out by then, which is The Orange Tree which is a true crime podcast that was in the top 20 of Apple Podcasts, which got a lot of attention from donors to the program, advertisers, things like that. And so he really wanted to scale and grow the production house. And I was like, well, I know how to tell a good story. I know how to interview people. I know how to come up with story ideas. I can learn the technical pieces. Mm. And so, yeah, so that was, I guess I was officially hired in December of 2020. I signed the offer oh, letter okay. the day before my wedding, funnily enough. <laughs> nice. It's a good wedding gift. Exactly, exactly. And then he was like at my wedding breaking the news to my friends that I was like changing jobs. And I was like, no one knows yet, man. Keep it cool. <laughs> Spilled the beans. That's funny. He was so excited. Yeah, it was very, it was very cute. But I started in January of 2021. So it's been a little over oh. two years now. That's in the middle of the pandemic, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I had one of those like weird 30 person pandemic weddings where everyone was like 20 feet apart and they had to scream at each other. 
Um, so yeah, it was a lot, a lot going on for me. A lot going that time. on. Wow. So that's your entry into podcasting. And I want to dive into yeah your role at UT and the drag. But first, I know you have a personal podcast, as we do with all the guests. We want to kind of dive into that first, and then yeah. we'll peel back all the other layers. But tell me yeah. about your podcast. Yeah. So the fifty percent is a podcast that I do with one of my best friends. She and I actually met when we were working together at the newspaper in Austin. I was her boss. Weirdly enough. And I was kind of, as people who read a lot are inclined to do, I was like shoving my book recommendations down her throat. And a lot of them happened to be like contemporary romance novels because (laughs) I was working at a newspaper and I was like surrounded by so much heavy stuff all the time Mm. that I was like, the only thing I can read in my free time is this like happy, fun, carefree stuff. So we started this two person book club unofficially. And joked for years about making a podcast. And that was before I worked in audio. And then I started working in audio and we were like, wait, now we actually know how to do this. (laughs) So we started 50% last summer. And it's been just a really fun project for our friendship, but also just like creatively. It's always nice to have like a little side project that's not necessarily like a moneymaker. It's just for fun and you can creatively flex and It's kind of nice to be a part of a podcast that's not affiliated with my Mm -hmm. university job. I like, even though I'm easily Googleable, I keep it pretty low key about like where (laughs) I work and what I do on the podcast just Mm -hmm. by nature of some of the things that I have to talk about on there. So yeah, it's fun to have this like almost alter ego, even though I say my full name, I'm not hiding from (laughs) anyone, but it's fun. It like works a different part of my brain. No, that's super cool. And wasn't any of the thought like, oh, let me do one on my own? Because I meet a lot of people who are in the industry professionally, but they don't have one of their own. You know, they don't Mm -hmm. have their own podcast. So they want some, I guess, some places to experiment. Was that a thought at all? For sure. It was it was nice to have something that was very much not. Well, for one thing, not tied to my income and paying my mortgage. It was nice to have something that was like low pressure where my At the drag, I work with students on these projects with college students. So it was nice to not have a bunch of young, impressionable people relying on me that I could just, if I fail, who cares? And if it gets two listeners, who cares? Which has kind of been the mindset the whole time. And then the other, on the flip side of it, it was if I'm teaching these students how to do this thing, I like need to have actually done it or need to be actively doing it or or trying new things and different things. And At my full-time job, we do mostly long-form scripted work, but obviously 50% is unscripted, conversational. So it was a way to dip my toes into something other than what I was doing day-to-day because the students asked me about unscripted stuff too. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. I haven't actually done that, so I should do it. So it benefits my full-time career also, but it's also just like a very low stress. (laughs) Let's just have fun and not think about it too hard. So I think you said you consider it a hobby podcast then, right? Yeah, for sure. So for hobby podcasts, how do you think about growth? I think you said even if a couple of people listen, does that kind of do it? Or do you think about growth at all? Yeah, we do think about it. Um, It's certainly not a driving factor, but, you know, we're still kind of in the infancy of doing this podcast. It's only been like we only started it last June or July. And so I think after a while, you do start to wonder, like, who's out there (laughs) who's listening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's been really cool because. For one thing, we have a lot of like friends and acquaintances who we've reconnected with over this podcast, like someone I went to high school with who I didn't really know that well, but she's like always in our Instagram DMs, like (laughs) 
sharing book racks. And so that's a piece of it that's really fulfilling more so to me than a ton of listeners. But in terms of growth, we've seen a lot of success with book talk and bookstagram are like very real active mm. places. <laughs> and it's interesting because in my full-time job at the drag working on these like longer form scripted shows, we don't see a lot of growth from social media. But my side project, this book podcast, has really seen more growth through th through that. And I think it's just because that's where those communities live. That's where those book lovers are. Like they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, they're in Facebook groups. And so tapping into those communities has been like more beneficial for our growth than I would have initially thought. Because at the beginning, I was like, social media can only do so much. But it turns out, I guess, when you go where the people are, that it, then it works well. So. That is really interesting. I've always kind of been curious about these niche podcasts that dive into like a TV series or a movie or even books. First, it seems like a lot of work for books. You must read a ton of books then. I do. Yeah, that's always been true, though. I'm one of those really annoying speed reader people who have like lofty yearly reading goals. So, yeah. Do you do a lot of audiobooks? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, I think I heard on your episode, I, I listened to a couple. I think I heard both of you and your co-host refer to oh that was minute 35 or something mm -hmm. yeah well we talk about the percentages a lot because we read on yeah, kindle for the most part and that's kind of where the the name for the podcast came from because a lot of these contemporary romances are written with a similar structure you know there's like they meet at the beginning and then around 50% is generally when they kiss or other things. And it's always it's always around I that see. spot. And so that was kind of the gimmick I at the see. beginning. And we've moved away a little bit from that now, um, just because we've some we've been reading some on audiobook, we've been reading some like paperbacks or whatever. But that was kind of the idea. That's where the name came oh. from. Because it's if you like start to track it, it's crazy. Like it's all around There's, 50%. That is interesting. That actually is a good resource for people who are writing these types of books. Because I remember, I think I just listened to your last episode. You're like, oh, they had their first kiss at 10%. That's so early. That's way too early. But I think you clarified, no, that was like a fake kiss or something. It was like part of the script that they were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Okay, now 50% makes a lot of sense yeah that's cool so you brought up a really good point that you're going where the audience is so when you pick up a new book and you're going to do that next episode on the book are there places where the readers of the book are talking about it like reddit or something or yeah sometimes it kind of depends we some of our books we choose just based on what we want to read selfishly or like books of authors that we know we really like and so we know we're going to like the book and then recommend the book to the yeah. audience right but we also kind of deliberately choose books that are like really buzzy on TikTok or Instagram, especially on TikTok, because like next month for our March book club, we're doing like a hockey romance, which is really out of our depth, which is apparently a subgenre of romance. No way. And, wow. Yeah. Like hockey players. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But I started seeing these hockey romances all over my TikTok feed. And I was like, Abigail, I guess we like we got to do it. I think we got to do a hockey <laughs> romance. And so we it's kind of both. And like, we'll choose things we're interested in. We'll choose things that are by authors that we know are popular or that we know we like. Mm. Or we'll just choose things that we've we're like, OK, 
like, y'all won't shut up about this on the internet. So I guess we have to talk about it. Let's just do it. And part of that is like kind of strategic marketing of if someone's Googling this hockey romance, maybe our show will come up. But also it's like wanting to be a part of the conversation that is happening in the communities that we're in. Honestly, this is super smart. A lot, a lot more strategy than I thought. Going <laughs> My silly little romance pod has has a lot of thought behind it. No, this is cool. And I take it you guys tag the the author too, right? Yeah, we try to. Some of them notice us, some of them don't. Um, we yeah, all how like, often? How often would they retweet? I would say more more than half the time they'll at least like share a post on Instagram or wow. like repost an Instagram story, or even like even if they don't repost it they'll like respond and be like glad you love the book and who knows if it's even them right but kind of nice that's cool so you say you're keeping pretty good tabs on the genre Mm -hmm. on tiktok are you all on tiktok too yeah yeah we were really good about tiktok for a while and then we took an extended hiatus from the podcast for like the holidays and stuff to gather ourselves and we have not gotten back on tiktok yet we probably should but they banned TikTok at the university, so we can't access it on campus. Wow. So it's kind of limited things a little bit. (laughs) Interesting. And I want to talk about the, there's so much stuff I'm so removed from the university life now. I want to hear more about it. (laughs) But wow, banning TikTok. Yeah, I want to, definitely we're going to dive into that a little bit. Yeah. But what was your TikTok strategy? What kind of videos do you produce? Yeah, you know, there's some really like rich culture happening on on book talk, as they call it. So it was a lot of like seeing tre- like any other TikTok video, right? Seeing trends that people were doing, like certain sounds they were using with like certain formats of videos. There's a lot of like have the book flipped over where you can't see the title and but there's text saying something about it on the screen. And then at some certain moment in the sound. You flip the book over and reveal what book you're talking about, that kind of stuff. Or like your typical, like, I'm going to use this trendy sound to make some joke or reference or inside inside joke or something like that. So I think pretty similar to what most people do on TikTok who are trying to be creative and strategic. So what did you two leverage the most? Was it comedy or was it something else? It was a lot of the, we were doing a lot of those like lip sync along with the sound, but then make the actual video book related. That was what Abigail was doing a lot of. She's like really clever with those, my co-host. I was better at, I'm a faster reader than her, so I read more. So my niche was more like Katie sharing like what she's reading, book recommendations. So it was more of that, like, let me talk about the book and then reveal to you what it is that I'm talking about kind of stuff. So it was a pretty even mix between what the two of us were owning. And I know you said you took a hiatus. I did too. So I think it's kind of normal. So yeah. what's going to keep you both going with this podcast? Yeah. Well, the fact that we're like best friends is kind of mm-hmm. a motivator. She like comes and works out in my garage three days a week. So she's always here. What does she? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and I noticed you're in her wedding too. I remember hearing that. I am, I am in her wedding. Yeah. I'm her, I'm her matron of honor, which I have some <laughs> issues around the word matron as I talked about in the episode, but I'll take it. So I think, I think that's the motivator is like, we're never going to stop reading and sharing book recommendations with each other. And we might have to take breaks here and there, but I think we'll keep doing it for as long as it makes sense, barring any like big life changes of, yeah. you know, Obviously, she's getting married, but she's stuck with me. So, but like barring one of us, like 
having kids and getting really busy or like changing jobs and getting busy or moving or or whatever. I think that's kind of the thing that would have to stop it because right now we're both just having a really good time. Yeah. That's the beauty of hobby podcasts. Whenever I, um, you know, I, sometimes I teach new podcasters about podcasting and I say, I'm always saying do it for fun first because right. there's going to be some longevity with that if you're just having fun and there's no expectations. And then, of course, money and growth gets involved. And uh, you, you do take donations, right, for your podcast? We do. We have the little thing turned on on Anchor where you can, like, support us or whatever. And then we also have, like, an affiliate page, an affiliate page on Bookshop, which is like an online bookstore where you can buy from your local independent bookstore. So Hmm. you can put in what your local indie is and then you can buy directly from there. But Bookshop kind of handles the shipping and the whatever else. So we have an affiliate page there. So if you buy from our page, we'll get like a few dollars or something Hmm. like that. And that's smart too. I, I hear business models around these book clubs could be pretty good actually. Do you always tell the listeners what book is coming up next to give them time to prepare? Yeah, we do. Sometimes we haven't decided one yet because Mm -hmm. we do monthly. And so sometimes we're like, okay, we're going to have to argue about (laughs) what we're doing. (laughs) So we'll announce on our Instagram or something. But we do always try to put it somewhere. We couldn't do that for our most recent book for this episode that came out in February because we had taken a hiatus. So we were like, we don't know what we're going to want to read three months from now. But we we always announce and we always put it on our bookshop and we link to it in our show notes and link to it on Instagram stories and all that good stuff. That's cool. Well, let's move on to the other fun stuff. Uh, yeah. All your different roles at the University of Texas, Austin. Um, so let's start with The Drag. The Drag is an audio production house slash podcast network, right? Tell us more about that. Yes. Yeah, so The Drag was founded... In 2019, 2020-ish, it came about as a project at UT's School of Journalism and Media. My now boss was then the innovation director at the J School. And so he had this endowment money basically at the university to do innovative stuff. Hmm. Um, And he did a few different things with that, started a few different classes, a few different events, all kinds of different things. And eventually he was like, I think podcasting is maybe the next innovative thing I want to do. And so he hired some students to do this long-form true crime podcast um, about a a crime that had happened in 2005 in the student neighborhood just west of UT. And it went kind of unexpectedly bananas and was in the top 20 of Apple Podcasts and got a lot of attention. I think you said Um, the name of that podcast earlier. What was it called again? Yeah. So it was initially called The Orange Tree, but we've since rebranded that feed into Darkness. So you can search for either of those and that's where it is. That is cool. Wow. So Mm -hmm. it just started off as an endowment project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then then with how successful that was, my boss was like, I'm going to step down from this innovation job and I'm going to do this podcast thing because he's also a full-time professor. So this was his side thing anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, I'm going to do this podcast thing. I'm going to hire someone with this like money that I've gotten and we're going to become independent of the endowment. Um, so basically after that, he hired me shortly after and we started operating as sort of this startup nonprofit deal within the university. So we started working on season two of the orange tree that would later become darkness he had some other long form projects that he had started before I got there. 
that I helped finish out some kind of one Texas-based podcast that was fun about stories along Interstate 35. We had a story about a former president of Ecuador because one of our students was Ecuadorian Mm. and was working on that. We had a few different things going on and it's turned into, we have seven podcasts out now. We have, I want to say seven or eight more in production. I always forget the number. And so, yeah, it started with me and a team of five or six students. And now it's me and a team of like 20 to 25 students any given semester. That number changes because, you know, they graduate or they take another job or whatever. But yeah, it's a paid on-campus opportunity. Think about it like your student newspaper, but for podcasts, Mm. mostly long form, but we're starting to dip our toes into the shorter form, Mm. unscripted space as well. That's super interesting. And I want to get into the business of this. How are the students paid? Are they just paid per season? Because like you said, they they graduate, right? Yeah. So it's like an hourly job right now, but we're actually shifting around the the way we're set up basically so that we're going to be able, this is a long, boring university thing, but there are Mm. only certain departments that are allowed to pay out stipends. The rest of the students have, the majority of campus has to pay student workers hourly, which is how we're set up. Oh, interesting. But things are about to change so that we can pay per episode or per, like we have some graphic designers on staff. So it's like, okay, if you design our cover art, it pays this much, which makes more sense. So right now they're paid hourly and we agree on this job is 10 hours a week. This job is five hours a week, whatever. They punch a time card. I approve it. They get paid. But yeah, we're going to we're going to switch where some of the students are going to be hourly and some are going to be more on that stipend pay per job like freelance model based on what makes sense for the job that they're doing. That's super interesting. And how much do you budget per? So are you budgeting per season then? We're generally I'm generally budgeting per school year, like per fiscal year. Um, but when the, you're thinking of it like as a show, do students pitch a show or do you do you come up with a show? Uh, both either. Uh, we've, we've done it both ways. Sometimes we have students who have like, so our true crime show is our darkness is our, our marquee show. So a lot of those stories have come about because it's been a student who's I'm from this town where this like really wild thing happened. And we're like, all right, let's do that. <laughs> So um, when and you some say, of it oh, has been our ideas, so. Got it. Okay. So when a student comes to you, mm-hmm. uh, I take it they're probably in the School of Journalism too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like, oh, I have a great idea for a show. And they pitch it. Do you then say, because we've produced many shows before, we think that it's going to be around this budget for a season? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's generally, we have to look at it more carefully for some shows than for others. If it's a part of our true crime show, it's pretty much guaranteed that we're going to make money off of it. And so that's it's not as much of a concern um, for our other shows. We have to be a little more deliberate about what we pick and choose because, you know, we have to think about the costs. Um, but the idea is that our marquee shows help us pay for the shows that may not get as much attention, but are important stories that we feel like we need to do or a good experience for our students, Hmm. or, you know, something of that nature. We also um, have some, like, funded projects, right? So we have other campus departments who come to us and say, we have an idea, but we don't know how to do it. Can you produce it for us? And we'll Hmm. produce something in partnership with them. 
We've had some shows funded by grant money for grants that we've applied for. So it's really a mix of how we budget those things out. I see. So that's why you maybe label yourself as a production house, because if another department comes and says, we want you to help us produce a podcast, then you just charge them for it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's normally based off of how long do we think it's going to take to produce it. Since we're a bunch of students, for the most part, other than myself, it generally takes longer than like a full-time production house would because the students have jobs and lives and boyfriends Mm -hmm. and whatever. And legally, they can only work so much. So it's usually based on, okay, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be this many episodes. Then we estimate it's going to take this many months to do it. And then I calculate, okay, well, if the student is working 10 hours a week for $15 an hour for X many weeks, that's the budget, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's generally how we do it is like it's per season, but it's also per amount of time for the most part. Sure, sure. So diving into the numbers a little bit, because I'm really curious, and I think this will be very useful for the listeners. Mm -hmm. So let's take that uh, example of the true crime podcast again, Mm -hmm. where a student pitches it and it's a true crime podcast. How much would that cost to produce? Yeah, I generally budget the kind of top end because I always kind of budget more because you never know. It's about $15,000 per student per year. If they're working their maximum amount of hours, if they like accounting for all their fringe and all of that stuff. And so the true crime podcast generally takes at least a year to produce, if not more. Um, So if it's $15,000 for one student per year and I've got two students working on it, that's $30,000. I have to count for my own time because that's how the drag stays profitable is Mm -hmm. if, you know, whatever we're budgeting also has money for my time. That's probably 10 hours a week for me on that true crime show because that's our marquee show. Realistically, I probably spend more than that, but you know. Mm-hmm. And so whatever that, sh- I I don't know that math off the top sure. of my head, but okay. whatever that shakes out to. Um, and then we we cushion it with a little bit of travel, a little bit of equipment, incidentals, you know, whatever. Right. So generally a season is like, at least $50,000, if not mm. more. Wow. Um, it, it kind of depends on all the pieces that go into it. Thankfully, we don't have a ton of overhead being a part of the university. You know, we don't pay for HR. We don't pay for space. Um, we don't pay for, for recording space, more importantly. We do pay for our own equipment, but the school also has some equipment that we can use. So we have the benefit of not having to account mm. for that. But yeah, it gets pricey. Yeah, that is pricey. Thanks for sharing those numbers. I think they're super useful. And yeah. I, I take it usually the the two students working on it, they become the hosts of the show then too. Yeah, yeah. We were doing kind of the two host model, if you will, but we moved away from that. Now it's mainly one host and then that second student. So the one host is the main reporter, producer, script writer, kind mm. of all of the like front end production more or less. And then that second student is usually actually like three students who all combined equal that $15,000 a year. So it's like a student to serve as the editor and mixer, a student who's kind of an associate producer who's like fact checking, Mm. extra set of hands. Right. Research and and all that. Yeah, exactly. And then some student executive producer time as well. So those don't all, those aren't all like the 20 hour a week full time as a student jobs, but they all kind of add up to one mm-hmm. total student combined. 
That's interesting. I mean, I am shocked that the students are getting paid because this seems like it falls under their studies and they get this sort of final product that, and I'm sure they're getting all this training too, because my guess is they come in with almost no experience other Mm -hmm. than what they're learning in the school of journalism, right? Yeah. Why are they paid like this? Yeah, I personally feel really strongly about it because I went to journalism school at UT and I was a first generation college student. I had no financial assistance from my parents and I had to work my ass off, if I can say that on here. I had to work really, really hard just to like pay my rent and like Mm -hmm. be a college student. And so just like morally, ethically, I feel really strongly about that a lot of the students who work at the drag tend to be also first-generation college students. They also tend to be students with need. And I also just feel like if we're we're making ad revenue off of them, they should get Mm -hmm. some of that. And and yeah, there are plenty of other organizations on campus, student media organizations on campus that don't pay the way that we do. And That's fine if that's how they want to operate. But I just feel like they should get something out of it monetarily, even if it's not even if it's not all that much, just something. It's like it helps me sleep at night. (laughs) No, that's really awesome what you're doing, quite honestly, because like if I was a student there, I mean, I would jump at this opportunity because, you know, getting approved for one season can pay for pretty much a lot of the tuition, I imagine. Yeah. And it's it's pretty life changing, too, for these students sometimes to be able to say, like, I put my name on this. My voice is on this podcast that has a million listens. Like, yeah, what did I do in college that got to a million people? Nothing. What have I done now that got to a million people? You know, like, yeah, no, this is so cool. Uh, The drag, you said it became independent from the endowments. Mm -hmm. So it fully subsists on revenue it makes itself and grants? Yeah, it's sort of a combination. So there's the ad revenue. We do have one major donor who gives a substantial amount to the drag every year. She has like an annual commitment. She's amazing. I love her. She's also a really valuable like friend and advisor to all of us. She doesn't just give us money. She also gives us advice which I really love. And she's been a major champion of ours. Is her, her background in media too? Oh, you're about to say Yeah, her, name. her name's oh. Leslie Schrock. She would be really embarrassed if I said she doesn't want the attention, but she's really wonderful. She is a graduate of the College of Communication at UT. Mm. And her background is in like advertising and then startups. So not journalism at all, but she's on the dean's like advisory committee. So that's how she found out about us and got involved. So she gives us quite a bit of money. The we get a little bit of money from the dean's office, but most of the support there is in like space and people, HR and the development office and marketing and things like that. And then these work for higher jobs from other places in the university are a substantial amount of revenue for us as well. And that's actually that piece is actually growing. And I want to continue to grow that piece, more of those internal partnerships on campus, because it's always really fun and interesting work in a space that like we did a climate change podcast in partnership Mm. with a research group on campus. And it's not something that I would have ever worked on had it not been like a funded partnership project like that. But it was so fascinating. So that's like a space that I really want to focus on. That is super interesting. And earlier when you were talking about true crime podcast, you alluded to that. You feel pretty confident it'll make its money back. Mm -hmm. 
are these true crime podcasts like I, I know there you said you have one marquee but let's say the take the average one are they getting the amount of downloads to make revenue yeah the marquee one is we have one uh darknesses we have one spinoff show that we just sort of wanted to experiment launching a new feed and seeing if we could kind of diversify that revenue stream that audience we didn't want to I was like laying in bed awake at night, worried that for some reason everyone was going to unsubscribe to this one feed and then we weren't going to have any listeners or something like that. So the main feed has, I, I want to say it's around six and a half million listens now. So it does generally get back to, if not a total break, even close enough for me to feel happy. That's amazing. And it's um, six and a half million per month, right? Total, total over time. Because oh, it's a okay. season it's a seasonal show. Okay. So that's over three seasons. Okay. Three yeah. years then. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. And I take it for all the six podcasts and seven that's coming, mm-hmm. the drag owns all the IP outright then. The university owns all the IP. Oh, the university. So the university is still the owner of everything. Yeah, that's how pretty much everything different universities do it different ways, but UT if you create something as staff, which mm-hmm. I obviously am and the students are, the university owns the IP. It's different with full-time faculty members. Like my boss retains, and this is to the best of my knowledge, so I'm hoping I'm get this, I get this mm-hmm. right. My boss retains at least some of his IP, but the university owns all of the IP. That's interesting. And it's interesting. It's in the School of Journalism, too. I want to ask about that a little bit. But before mm-hmm. I ask, so if there's a story, I notice a lot of the stories are around Austin and maybe even UT specifically. Mm-hmm. If you do a expose piece that is not too favorable to UT, do they have some kind of editorial <laughs> oversights around that? Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. We haven't run into that, but we are kind of you know, we don't want to piss anyone off. So we try to make sure that any stories that we're doing that we're concerned that might come off that way, we want to make sure we ask about it like really early on in the process. Like the next season of Darkness, I think I can say this. I'll just make the decision that I can say this. (laughs) Our next season of Darkness is about the UT Tower shooting in the 60s. So the first Mm -hmm. school shooting in American history. And we just wanted to make sure that was cool. To even do that, because a lot of the sources in the podcast are very critical of the way that UT handled it then and since. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we asked our dean, like, Mm. just letting you know this is happening. Do you think do you think it's going to be a problem? And he was like, no. And he like gave us a little advice, but he was really very encouraging of it because I think we're friendly with him. He knows us as people. He trusts us. He knows that our intentions are good. So mm-hmm. I think it comes from us like having built those relationships with the people who do make those decisions. Right. That they trust that we're not gonna we're not gonna do wrong by anyone or we're gonna give everyone a chance to respond at least or say their piece, mm-hmm. like any journalistic organization would. But because of where we are, we do have to be careful with those things. But yeah. it hasn't come up really not in any real way which is great so in a franchise or you said the marquee show like the darkness because it spans multiple years so when people graduate do you just put another student on the show yeah so it's generally like if you're the host you're the host for that season and that story and that's it and sometimes we really have to like put the pedal to the metal (laughs) before they graduate (laughs) like right now i'm I, our like spinoff true crime show, which is a historical true crime show, Devilish mm-hmm. Deeds, 
we're working on season two of it right now. And that student graduates in like three months. And I'm like, that was that conflict that came up today (sighs) that I was like, we're behind deadline. We got to do it. So yeah, generally it's because it's seasonal, we just bring in a new host and we try to be really, really deliberate about who that person is. Mm -hmm. Like this most recent season of Darkness was about, it came out in October of 2022. It was about a a student at UT in 1989 who went to South Padre Island for spring break, crossed mm-hmm. the border into Matamoros, and was kidnapped and ritually sacrificed by this drug gang that many referred to as a satanic cult. You'll have to listen to the podcast to figure out whether it actually was or not. <laughs> but we got that story because one of our colleagues was a student at UT at the time, and he was working at the student newspaper at the time, and he was like, We have to do this story. I just remember it. I know all these people who I was working with at the Daily Texan who could be sources. And so it was like, okay, we can do this, but now we need to find a student to host it. And we came across this student who's one of our best students was sitting in the office one day and we were outlining it on the like dry erase boards. And she like saw what was written up there and she was like, Mm. oh, I used to cross the border into Mexico all the time growing up or like, oh, I know what this is, or I've heard of this. And we were like, you're the one. You're the the one one to tell this story. (laughs) So sometimes the stars align like that. Or sometimes it's the student that's doing the tower shooting season that's coming out later this year. She just cold pitched it to us. She showed up with a little Google Slides presentation. She had done a bunch of work. And her kind of thesis statement was, I grew up in this era of having to do school shooting drills in my like elementary school. Mm. And so I want to use that lens to look at the first school shooting. And so even though multiple other people probably could have told that story in a way that was effective, she pitched it to us in a way that felt really genuine and gave a lot of um, credibility and authenticity Mm -hmm. to the story. So sometimes sometimes the stars align and we pick people and sometimes Mm. they come to us. It's worked out really well so far. Yeah, and I did uh, listen to the first episode of the last season of Darkness, and it's produced beautifully. Well done. Thanks. So let's take the next season. From the time that concept, you green light it, to the time that it's published, what's the lead time on something like that? Yeah, that one's gone a little slower, mainly because we already had season three of Darkness was heavy in production at the Mm -hmm. time. So she pitched it to us really early on, and she's not graduating anytime soon. So we were able to push it back. So that one, it's been probably two years, almost two years in the making when it has come out. But that's because at the beginning, we were like, hold your horses. Don't start working too hard on this yet. Mm -hmm. Also, because my boss and I oversee all the students, and we have to be realistic about when we can take on projects. Right. But normally, it's a year, year and a half-ish. Oh, wow. Okay. So when a student first starts working on it, it takes about a year and a half of them to actually launch it. Yeah. If they, if they're getting involved from the very, like pitching idea generation stage. Yeah. Sometimes people come in later, like the, the most recent season she came in later. Um, But if they're the first ones pitching it and working on it, it's usually a year, year and a half. And that's mainly because the limitations we have around them being students and, and, Only being able to work part-time, of course, if they were working full-time, it'd probably be a different story. Yeah. Wow, this is super interesting. I want to jump gears a little bit from the drag to actually just kind of being a professor there, adjunct professor there. And 
even the trends around podcasting and media studies. Maybe first I'll, I'll start off with the question. It's interesting that this whole podcast effort is under uh, journalism mm-hmm. versus, let's say, film studies. Right. Are you finding that pretty normal or typical across other campuses? Well, as far as I know, nothing exists like the drag at any other campus. So I'm not sure I can really speak to that, but I will say the main reason we're in the School of Journalism is just because the professor who founded it is in the School of Journalism. We're really more interdisciplinary in practice. Mm -hmm. We're more under the Moody College of Communication, if you will, than the School of Journalism, but the official dotted line is School of Journalism. That is really interesting. One of the reasons why I asked that question, because when I first read your profile that the drag is under the School of Journalism and Communication. I just kind of expected the network of podcasts to be a little bit more dry. Uh, I'll be honest, you know, <laughs> kind of like school paper-ish uh, yeah. news. But yeah, when you look at the show list, it's a lot of true, a lot of fun stuff mm-hmm. uh, that seems like a, it's a little bit more media focused. So, I mean, let me ask you, and I think you're also right. I don't know how much this exists because the moment I learned about you, I thought, because I'm also producing a podcast conference like you, which we'll talk about soon, I thought, oh, maybe I should reach out to the local college here. It's Portland State University. And I, I looked to see if they had anything similar and they didn't. And mm-hmm. I wasn't even sure what college to look under. Was it film studies or was it communication? Or Right. So it is very unique what you're doing at the university. And it's really awesome. Are you finding a lot of students taking an interest in podcasting and maybe even as a career option? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I have to like, honestly, my number one problem with this job is that I can't hire more students and involve more students. Like my number one, like the thing that I hate the most is that I can't involve more students because like probably once a week I have coffee with a student that's that I've never met before who's just emailed me out of the blue. And I know what they're going to ask me and they're going to ask me, (laughs) how can I work at the drag? And I'm like, I don't have enough money. And also I don't have enough like of me. (laughs) There's not enough of me to give. Right. Mm Because because I am the only full time staffer and and I know that managing 20 to 25 students every semester is my max. I cannot I cannot do more than that. So the interest is huge. And we've actually in terms of teaching, expanded the curriculum in the School of Journalism to include more audio classes. The class that I teach, podcast production, is brand new. I just started teaching it last spring, so I'm only in the third semester of it. We have a new, oh, I don't know what it's called. It's like advanced sound design or something class, which Mm -hmm. is taught by Kate Dawson, who's the host of Tenfold More Wicked and Wicked Words, another very popular true crime podcast. And we have her at the school, too, which is awesome. We have a true crime podcast class that my boss teaches in the long semesters, and I'm teaching this summer. We have all kinds of stuff. And so the interest is is really there. And the true crime podcast class is more let's analyze podcasts and talk mm. about them ethically. Uh-huh. And that's open to non-majors. And there's 300 people in there. This Wow. Lesson. Really? Mm-hmm. So the interest is huge, like not just in the journalism school, but but across campus for sure. Yeah, that is really cool. And for the production type classes, how big are those classes? Those are generally upper level. So like mostly juniors and seniors. You had to have taken your basic reporting Mm -hmm. classes to get through them. They range, I want to say, my class is capped out at 16 students, but I think they can go up to 20 or 22 maybe. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, that's amazing. I think I remember when social media first started hitting colleges. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for some reason, I thought it'd be, I thought it would jump straight to like YouTube. Like I see a lot of reporters have newsletters and YouTube. Mm -hmm. But wow, this is very encouraging to hear that the college generation is embracing podcasting as something. Yeah, I have to fight them off. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Hopefully y'all become an example of, of a program that other colleges can follow. This is really great. Yeah, I hope so. I've had other educators reach out to me to be like, can you just tell me how you built this thing? And because yeah. I, I want to do this. And so I've talked to some, I talked to someone at a community college in Baltimore, maybe. I talked to someone in Montana. Yeah, I've talked to a few different people at a few different places who are who are really interested in building something like this. Yeah, that's really neat. And how how has it been teaching? Because you're self-proclaimed new to this industry too, mm -hmm. right? Or new to audio. Yeah. So I, I was teaching before I was full-time staff. So I was actually teaching our social media journalism class. I started mm -hmm. teaching that back in 2018. 2019, mm -hmm. something like that. So, and I didn't join the drag until um, 2021. So I had a couple years of teaching under my belt already. And so I had kind of a basis for how these classes work. And so I had been at the drag for a year before I started teaching audio. And my philosophy was really just, well, I just learned how to do this. So I'm going to show y'all how to do it in the way that I learned how to do it, because that's what worked for me. And I'm very open with them about the things that I don't know. Like, I'm really good at story brainstorming and, and writing and, you know, idea generation and that kind yeah. of stuff. But sometimes they'll ask me ad Adobe audition questions and I'm like, let's go to YouTube and look it up <laughs> together because there's still things that I'm learning. I'm very open with them about that. And I think that makes them like me more sometimes, too, because they're like, oh, she's like a real person and <laughs> doesn't know everything. So no, that's you know, I wish more of my college professors were a lot, lot, lot more <laughs> like that. Yeah. So do, actually, as a producer, do you help with the audio at all? Or are you? Yeah, I'm actually I'm like kind of by default, our lead editor, like I'm the last line of defense before we release. And so I've edited and sound designed a, a couple of our shows. And I'm actually working on the most ambitious one yet, which is a 10 episode podcast about the life of Lady Bird Johnson, LBJ's wife and the former first lady. And so I'm designing that one, which should come out this wow. summer. So. Well, let me just tell you, I think you're doing a great job uh, in terms you. of the capacity. That's wild. Um, yeah, I've talked to some of the bigger networks and some of their producers, I think their capacity is maybe like three shows max. Mm -hmm. So the fact you're doing like, yeah, I think you're like upwards of 20. Yeah, I would. I also have like a fairly flourishing freelance career. So it's, uh, I wouldn't recommend working this much, but <laughs> it's fun. It is fun. And it helps that you love it. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about both our conferences and giving that a plug. This is the first yeah. time I'm talking about my own. Nice. Congrats. Too. Yeah. So mine's called PodConf, P-O-D-C-O-N-F.com. And what's yours called? PodATXFest.com. <laughs> uh, PodATXFest.com. And tell me how that originated. How long have you been working on that? Yeah. So my boss at the drag, like I mentioned, he had that innovation money before and he had done this thing called the Tiny Texas Podcast Festival, which is the <laughs> cool. most adorable name ever. Yeah. So it was like a one day small scale podcast fest and they had it in 2019. So then mm. we never had it again. So the idea came from that and wanting to do some kind of event like that again. and. Of course, 
we're not busy enough. We're like, what if we just do like a huge four day thing? (laughs) So really, it came of like, we want a podcasting conference that is like all the things that we like about podcasting conferences, but also all the things that we like about the journalism conferences that we Mm, go to and really love. And we wanted to kind of marry those things together because You know, I've been to a few of these conferences that feel very big and overwhelming and I learn a lot, but it's like brands and monetization and like all this. It's really overwhelming. So Mm -hmm. we were like, let's make the type of podcasting conference that like I, Katie, would have wanted (laughs) at the beginning, like very focused on content, very focused on like how to actually make stuff. And we're going to have some of the monetization and some of the growth and brand building and all of that stuff. But it's really going to focus on how to make good audio content Mm. in terms of story, in terms of production, that kind of stuff. And also the drag is, like I said, like a nonprofit startup. So we were like event, good revenue. So it's definitely another revenue stream for our students, hopefully to fulfill my dreams of hiring every (laughs) student who asks me for a job. But we also partnered with Texas Student Media, which oversees the, the student media on campus. And we partnered with KUTKUTX, which is our NPR station that's actually in the university. Mm. We have one of those NPR stations that's at a university. So we're kind of the three of us banding together to hold a four-day festival conference that's going to bring together a bunch of really cool people, I think. But I'm in charge mm-hmm. of, the, of the programming, so maybe I'm biased. Oh. But bringing in some folks who are local, some folks who are perhaps not local, but friends, and really trying to cover the bases for an audience that's full of, we hope, audio professionals, but also hobbyists, but also journalists who are like, okay, my news organization has a podcast and I got to figure out what we're doing here. And also because of the nature of where we're at, there's going to be some educators and students involved too. So I'm, but I'm really trying to focus on let's share with people how to make good content and provide some good networking opportunities and stuff and make it fun. It's who doesn't want to come to Austin? Maybe you don't want to come <laughs> in August, but the buildings are really air conditioning, air conditioned. So yeah. you'll be fine. <laughs> and again, when are the dates? August 16th through 19th. So it is right before the semester starts at UT, which is why we did it that way. Oh, okay. Um, so it is hot as hell in Austin that time of year. It was like 90 degrees the other day. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just like you. People ask me why I'm doing PodConf and I'm like, oh, purely for selfish reasons. I just want to attend a conference that I want to attend. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to invite the people to come speak that I want to see speak. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to try to steal some of your ideas. It sounds like you have some good ideas. Uh, and yeah. you you said you're in charge of the programming. What's one unique part of the programming that Uh, you're really excited about. We're doing some live podcast tapings that I'm excited about. That's one of the benefits of partnering with KUTKUTX is they're in our building. So we're going to have, they have a really great podcast called Black Austin Matters that's hosted by two UT professors. And we're going to figure out a live show with them. I think we're going to do some other live shows with some of their other podcast hosts that I'm really excited about. So I think that's going to be really fun and interesting. Mm. And I'm also roping a bunch of our student producers at the drag to be on these panels or to moderate the panels. So I think that and every speaker that I've brought that up to that I'm like, would you be cool with a student moderator? They're like, oh, my God. Yeah, that sounds so fun. So I think it's going to be really cool to see these like really smart, talented young people up here, like hanging with the pros. So, yeah. 
That's cool. I love the live taping idea. I've always wanted to maybe explore that, but I'm just, I've never been to one. I just don't know what it would entail, how it'd look like. Yeah. So you'll have to tell me how yours goes. Yeah. I'm really leaning on the NPR experts on this one. I'm like, it was literally the, like two days ago that I was like, can we do a live show? And they were like, yeah, Katie, we're, we're a radio station. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, we do live show every day. People could watch. Yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, okay, that that makes sense. So I take it they're just going to be on stage and they're just going to, the audience is just going to kind of watch. Yeah, I don't really know the logistics of that yet, but I know KUT has like a space that they said they were going to, I've been to, they sometimes have live concert series there. And so Mm -hmm. it's a pretty small room that holds, I don't know, maybe 30 or something people. So it's not super big. But it's it looks like a music recording studio with all uh, the like rugs on the floor and that whole vibe. Got it. So I think it's going to be like that. Yeah, that's kind of one of the benefits of um, being affiliated with the with the university. Yeah. You have all the facilities at your disposal. Whereas me, I have to run around town getting a venue. Yeah, that's like ninety percent of the reason we decided to do this thing because we were like, oh, most of the problem is already solved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How big do you anticipate it to be? Where the maximum we can hold in any of the rooms is around 400 people. So that's what we're aiming for. So not a ton, but a good amount. Yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, I think for our first one, we're just trying to keep it small, intimate. So probably half the size of yours. Yeah. Very cool. So I think we're coming to an end right now. And I always end the podcast in my final five quick fire questions. Okay. And this is going back to your own (laughs) podcast. Okay. 50%. Okay. So for your own podcast, do you collect listener emails? Uh, no, we should. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. It's a hobby. There's no shit or shouldn't yeah. <laughs> if it's a hobby. That's cool. Question number two, do you promote each new episode? If so, how? Yes, mostly uh, really just on, so mainly on Instagram, honestly. Mainly Instagram. And you said yeah. TikTok a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. We need to get back on our game. And how does Instagram posts look like usually? We've got graphics. We post like covers of the books. We do some audiograms, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you see audiograms working? No, no, no. (laughs) That's sad. I always make the effort of doing audiograms too. I'm like, surely it's got to work a little bit. I know. I like them, but they're like our least engaged with posts. Really? Yeah. I'll still do them because I personally think they're fun, but. Cool. Question three. How much time do you spend producing each episode? Four hours if we're counting recording time also. So probably like two hours recording, two hours mixing, editing. Yeah, makes sense. And does your co-host help with any of this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she does the first kind of edit run through in Descript because she's not an audio girl. So she does like a content edit in Descript and then I put it all in audition to make it pretty. That's a good team. I thought one person would be taking care of most of the work. That's cool. I did that at first and I was like, Girl, I need help. <laughs> help. Let me teach you the script. Yeah, that's a good idea. What is your favorite tool you use to produce or market your podcast? Oh, the script. Yeah. yeah. For you too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Do you feel like you even need uh, Audition? or? Yeah, I am not a power user in Descript yet. Maybe to the point, maybe if I get to the point where I'm more comfortable with putting stuff in a multi-track in Descript, mm, okay. we'll get there. But I like to be able to like, separate our tracks, put it in audition, play with it. It's just what I'm more familiar with. Sure. But eventually, maybe as I get, we've only been using Descript for a few months, so I certainly am not a pro. Fair enough. And the last question, what's your primary call to action at the end of each episode? 
it's usually shopping our bookshop page. So going and buying the book from our affiliate profile and then we get a few dollars. Mainly we just want people to read. So that's cool. And where do, where's that website at? Uh, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash 50% pod. Shop 50% pod. Shop slash 50%. You could just search 50% podcast. <laughs> you could probably find us. And find the bookshop. All right. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed Katie, then go find her uh, bookshop and buy the next book and tune into 50%. And if you're curious about, I'm actually very curious about, uh, I wish I could go to Austin and come check out your yeah, uh, come. podcast. That's a little bit. <laughs> go to that. It's at podatxfest.com, right? Mm-hmm. And we just put passes on sale super recently so come yeah. and get them go buy a ticket how much is the ticket 350 350 great yeah mm-hmm. go buy a ticket and go meet Katie yeah thanks for being on the show thanks so much thanks for listening to Podcast Growth Hacks if you like the show please tell a fellow podcaster about it this really does help keep our show going until the next episode keep creating and keep growing your show Thank you.